what's up everybody? Welcome to Found Flicks. On this ending explain, we're looking at Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Not the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Don't you dare put a the in there. Uh-uh. In the latest entry in the long-running horror franchise, we have a direct sequel to the classic original entry, following a group of influencers in present day, looking to breathe new life into a Texas ghost town, only to encounter Leatherface, the legendary killer who wears a mask of human skin and has remained dormant all these years. Just killed some kids. 50 years ago and peaced out. The main reason I'm doing this video is that a lot of y'all ask for my thoughts on it, assumedly because it was pretty much destroyed by critics and there are plenty of things to make fun of. Yet on the other hand, it also seems to be quite a success views-wise. Hmm, how does that work? So, do I think this year's Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a good movie? Uh, no way in hell, dude. But I feel it's important to put that takeaway into the context of the series as a whole, as well as what your own personal definition of what a good horror movie is. Because the reality is, the series isn't exactly the most consistently wonderful, and really the first one stands head and shoulders over every other one that followed. Personally, I really like the first three, but even a lot of people don't like the kind of campier, more humorous tone to the sequel. For me, that was actually probably even more of my jam than the first. The original series ended with the dire Next Generation, featuring a pre-stardom Renee Zellweger and Matthew McConaughey, who was actually pretty good, all things considered. Years later, the series was unearthed with a shockingly not bad Jessica Biel-led full-on remake in 2003, but after that, it was right back into the dregs. I honestly legitimately completely forgot about the beginning's entire existence. That's how memorable it was. My long-winded point here is the series has never been that consistent or arguably good, so am I that surprised that the latest attempt follows this already long established pattern? Not exactly. However, it seems this time out, luck was not on the filmmaker's side. I read that they actually shot an entire first version of the movie with different directors and everything, and after production tossed the whole thing in the bin to start from scratch. Woohoo! Must have been a real stinker. But then I'm also going, maybe it was actually amazing. But I guess we'll never know. Regardless, the result of that redo is what we have on our hands. Yet even the second incarnation had such disastrous test screenings, the producers forego theaters and offloaded it to Netflix. Dang, you know, you straight up redo the whole entire movie and it still sucks. What are you gonna do? Third time's the charm? Yeah, probably not. Now you just gotta cut your losses at that point and move on. Write it off as a loss, Hollywood accounting style. It feels like overall they simply don't know what to do with the character or how to come up with a fresh take for modern audiences. But what's funny is that they really went, hmm, why not just rip off the concept of Halloween 2018? I mean, that made boatloads of cash. Let's just do the exact same thing. That's really how the new one feels, down to discarding everything in the series story after the first and bringing back an original character. Yet it pales by a wide margin to Halloween 18. The biggest problem is that Sally is not at the level of Laurie Strode, and I don't think anyone will argue with that. If nothing else, Laurie was in four total entries before 18, having a longer presence in the franchise overall. Plus, it's Jamie Lee Curtis hearing she's back for a Halloween movie adds a level of excitement. Bringing back Sally, played by a different actress, gives me nothing. Then after all that build-up, they basically waste her character with limited screen 
screen time and impact. Also, the main story this time out is especially grating with throwaway references to things like school shootings and gentrification, but these add up to nothing more than random current day buzzwords to fill in a sort of mad lib. There are no characters worth rooting for here because they're all paper thin and totally suck. It's not all bad though, as there are some things that this blatant ripoff gets right, mainly by upping the gore and blood right through the ceiling, just like Halloween 18. In this aspect, the movie soars, in particular in a bus set massacre. So at least in some ways, TX-22 does do his job, but I can't help but hope for a little more than the meager offerings given. Sure, the kills are nice and brutal, but that's about it. There's a lot to take in there, so with all that in mind, let's head to Texas, well, probably really Bulgaria, for Leatherface's latest misadventures in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, breaking down the story and its connections to the original, ripping on its inherent stupidity, as well as explaining the ending that gives us a kind of passing of the torch to a new generation and sets the stage for a possible sequel. Let's hope so. A DVD player kicks on, playing a little documentary that reminds us of what happened back in the summer of 73. Accompanied by a familiar voiceover, yep, John Lorquette is back after providing a similar role in the original and a couple other ones along the way. Five youths were attacked by a madman using a variety of tools, including hammers, meat hooks, and of course, a chainsaw. Of the five, only Sally survived, and after telling her story, she never spoke of that again. And even several decades later, the murders are still unsolved. Teen Lila scans through the souvenirs and asks the guy what happened to her. It sounds like she never really got over losing her friends, later becoming a ranger, and looked for the killer for decades. But she never found him since, you know, the guy was wearing a mask. How are you ever gonna track this guy down? Her older sis slash de facto caretaker Mel enters to check on her, and the guy asks what it is that they're doing out here. They mention being on their way to Harlow, and he's already heard word of their arrival. Everyone in town has. Probably pretty slow around here. He's apparently not a fan either, calling them gentrifuckers after they leave. That's Texas hospitality for you. So they get another taste of rural Texas when a guy pulls up in a big old truck blasting heavy metal, wearing cowboy boots and strapped as well. Pretty much the most cliche Texan ever. The others, especially Mel, make fun of him. He must have a small pecker to carry a gun around like that. He approaches them, having overheard their conversation, and defends that they have wild hogs out here. And the only way to deal with an invading species is to kill them on sight. A clear reference to the kids themselves being invaders. Go back to Austin, you chumps. He apologizes if his gun makes Mel uncomfortable. Her smirking back, she's seen bigger. Oh, that's some delicious wordplay. In a hacky, awkward attempt to create a semblance of character depth, we learn that Lila was a victim in a school shooting. She flips through her social media that's all outpourings of support, and she tentatively covers up a bullet wound scar. There's more talk of social media, Dante declaring that their post is blowing up. They watch the vid, him going on about real change going on out here. Their big day is coming. The truck guy makes another friendly appearance, blowing them away with his nasty exhaust as he passes by. They come to another roadblock in the form of the local sheriff. He too already knows all about them, noting Dante must be their chef. He hands over a card in case they have any troubles, Dante awkwardly thanking him for his service. He gets serious about the town and its history. A lot of people saw it back in his prime and only asked them to please be respectful. Mel chimes in that her grandma is actually from around here and does a little rhyme about the town that seems to ease the tension. The sheriff welcoming them to Harlow. They arrive in the dusty, decaying downtown area where the entire rest of the movie is set. And it looks like the place is pretty much abandoned. Here they fill us in on a bit more about what the hell exactly the kids are even doing out here, hoping to breathe new life into the town with young blood, appealing to others tired of the big city and wanting a fresh start. They rattle on about their restaurant being the first thing to open, Ruth spotting somewhere she could
could open an art gallery and maybe even a comic book store. Okay, hold on just a second. Their whole plan here is kind of completely bizarre and insane, if not merely incredibly stupid. Sure, leave Austin, arguably the most naturally beautiful big city in Texas, and come out to this shithole in the middle of nowhere. But hey, we have an art gallery. Great. I mean, what? Also, how did they afford to buy all these places? I'm sure they weren't exactly expensive, but this setup makes it sound like they bought the entirety of the downtown area we're seeing here. How? It's never explained, and I'm sure the screenwriters have no clue either. Get ready for more of that. Mel attempts to convince Lila of the benefits of the town. They're trying to make a start somewhere safe and non-violent. But Lila isn't having it, scoffing about the seven-hour drive out here and saying goodbye to all of her friends. Oh, well, she's not exactly spot on about it being safe and non-violent out here either. Turns out old truck boy, Richter, is their contractor. He inquires if they're trying to start a cult or something, Ruth boasting they're a bunch of idealistic individuals wanting to build a better world. That only convincing him further that it's a cult. And yeah, their whole utopia in the desert thing does sound incredibly dumb. I agree with you there, big boy. They come across an unfortunate sight, a tattered Confederate flag hung from another building. Dante won't stand for it, entering an assumedly abandoned orphanage. We focus in on a photo of kids that live back there in the 70s, including an older looking kid with their face scratched out, obviously younger Leatherface. It's not so empty here after all, as an older lady enters carrying an oxygen mask, demanding to know what they're doing here. They excuse that they thought the place was empty, and she tells them that she's been here 50 years helping kids without a home, along with troubled teens that needed to be shown mercy for their ways. Again, clearly referring to Leatherface. The kids argue with her that the bank reclaimed the property, and she isn't supposed to be here, but according to her, that was just a mix-up that was settled. She paid everything she owed. Dante gets frustrated, adamant that she's wrong, and storms off to get the sheriff to intervene. Mel is steadfast that she can't be here, and would be safer in a home as well as being better taken care of. But she puts her foot down, she's not going anywhere. A looming large figure appears at the top of the stairs. Her old favorite chainsaw-wielding murderer has returned. Mrs. Mick orders him back to his room, explaining that he needs special care and can't ever leave. Apparently, after the events of the first film, he randomly found his way to this orphanage and somehow was rehabilitated by Mrs. Mick. Not sure how that works exactly. This also informs us that only the first film took place in this universe, just like its Halloween counterpart. Clever. The cops barge in, telling the old lady it is time to go. She groans smell, asking what she's done, and the cops grab her. She starts spitting up, everyone thinking she's having a heart attack, and her boy lumbers down to carry her into the van. With the worst possible timing, their bus full of moron investors arrive. Wanting to keep up appearances, Blondie decides to go with, leaving the others to continue on with their presentation. Leatherface peers out of the back of the van, giving the old stink eye as they drive off. Lila considers this might be a bad omen, but Mel sees that she does not need this. Lila threatens to move back with their dad if they stay out here, and Mel tells her that she doesn't know what she wants. Lila firing back, oh, and you do? She still believes that she can't take care of herself and needs her older sister, leading to Lila walking off in a huff. Dante introduces her to Catherine, their real estate agent, I guess, who compliments them on what a great job they did promoting this thing. How? Things quickly go south in the van, with Mrs. Mix starting to heave and convulse. She tells her boy to remember what she taught him before she croaks. Leatherface desperately cranks up the oxygen in an attempt to get her back, but it's too late. She's gone. The deputy places a hand on top of the killers, and we see that he's no longer interested in being a good little boy, snapping his wrist and stabbing him in the neck with a protruding bone. Welcome back, killer. The deputy randomly fires, getting the sheriff in the neck, sending them off the road and crashing. In town, the auction is in full swing, some lady buying a property for her brunch restaurant. As Mel sighs, everyone loves brunch, right? Lila wanders into Richter's garage, where she pokes him about why he 
is the way he is. Him replying that he's just a Texan. He doesn't like people telling him what to do, especially self-righteous big city folk. My freedoms! Her eye is caught by a gun sitting out, him asking if she's ever shot one. Her clarifying no, but she has been shot at. She then hears the shots and screams in her mind, flashing to her bleeding on the floor back at the school. Clicking the trigger freaks her out, causing her to immediately drop the gun. He offers that that must have been hard. Her moaning everyone expects her now to do something special with her life and is worried that she can only disappoint them. Again, we could have developed this a little more, but no. Her friends were the special ones, not her. By which I guess she means the special ones are the ones that died? That is so weird. The auction wraps up and when grabbing her phone off the bus, Mel finds out that the old lady died. Thanks to a text sent earlier from Ruth. Dante is still all excited, even downplaying the news, but Mel believes that they basically killed her. That's enough for her to want to leave immediately, going to seek out her sister. Ruth comes to in the truck, hearing the back door swinging, meaning he's out. She spies on him in the mirror, doing something to his mom's body. She cautiously reaches for the radio, trying to call in for some help, but unfortunately, at first, no one is there to hear her plea. Also, I'm not sure why they're radioing into the gas station and not a police station. Small town, I guess. Leatherface makes a new mask to rekindle his namesake, peeling off his own mother's, and holds it up to the sun before placing it over his own. The gas station guy does happen to hear Ruth after all, but it's definitely too late for them at this point. The sheriff croaks awake, unbelievably somehow still alive, but not for much longer. The sounds bring Leatherface's attention, bashing him good with the oxygen tank, while Ruth tries to play dead. He returns to his mom's body, and she attempts to escape, finding the door jammed. So she's gonna have to climb over the dead dude and out the window. It looks like the coast is clear, and Tal looking behind her, and he's already there. He smashes the window and goes for her gut with a shard of glass. She tries to hold him back, but she is quickly overpowered, taking the shard and disemboweling her. He strokes her hair as a tear rolls down her cheek. And probably my favorite shot in the whole movie because it's kind of silly in a lot of ways, Leatherface pops out in a field of flowers, all, oh, hello there, it's me, your pal Leatherface. He makes his way back to town where there's a real hipster humdinger of a party going down. Somehow Mel is still trying to leave, and when she gets tossed the keys, Richter intervenes and catches them. They're pissed, of course, but he's heard word of what happened to the old lady. And once they can turn up the deed to prove they actually own it, they'll give them back the keys. Uh-oh. Time to see what level of professional operation we're really running here. Dante does at least have a little folder thingy with the paperwork, but whoops, they can't find the one for the orphanage. It must be back in Austin. Shocker, these guys might be morons. So they don't have the deed, but in that case, it definitely wouldn't be in the house, right? So Dante and Mel split up to hopefully not find the deed there. The gas station guy does at least call somebody about the van incident, but it's still weird. It's like if he thinks they're dead, shouldn't he call other cops? Or if they're the only ones in town, the next biggest town over or whatever, you know? There could be a killer out there. The specific person he does ask for help is a familiar, well, kind of familiar face, Sally, almost 50 years after we've last seen her. And unfortunately, the original actress passed and we have a different actress playing her this time. Again, it's obvious they're just ripping off Halloween 18 here with Sally, but again, this lady ain't no Jamie Lee Curtis. Then as I mentioned, they also do a very poor job with her character, which does not help either. Once she gets the call, she is right out on the hunt. Remember, she's a ranger now. She flips down her visor, revealing a shot of her friends, hearing their naive giggles echoing in her mind. Dante and Mel rifle through the house, and bad news for them, discover Mrs. Mick did indeed still own the house. And that basically means that they are massive assholes that more or less did cause her death, as well as unleash the dormant fury of Leatherface. Way to go, guys. And if you didn't already, definitely by this point, I was like, I can't wait for all these idiots to get violently slaughtered. It's Dante who has the honor of being dispatched first, noticing the pot sweat 
laying in the kitchen, he goes to stop them and Leatherface appears in the reflection. He starts to run only to get immediately grabbed and gets a cleaver to the jaw. He collapses to the ground, gurgling out blood, and Mel, just about to come downstairs, stops herself seeing the mess of her friend. The killer returns to look up, but she's already gone, taking refuge in the closet. Moments later, he clomps into the room, going right for where she's hiding. Luckily, he is not looking for her, grabbing one of his mother's dresses, sniffing it and cradling it in his arms. He smears some of her makeup on the mask of her face to perhaps more resemble her in a way. He obviously did actually love Mrs. Mac in a weird Leatherface way, and when hearing a voice barking over the PA, it looks like he blames the kids for her death, smashing a mirror in anger. He stomps off for a moment, and Mel tries to get the other's attention, but they're preoccupied with a storm rolling in, sending everyone onto the bus. She's forced to quickly hide again when Leatherface re-enters with a hammer and starts bashing a hole in the wall. Hmm, wonder what he's got hiding in there. His chainsaw, of course. Dante is impressively somehow still alive, stumbling to his feet, but still bleeding profusely. He makes it outside, Richter noticing him hobbling by. He chases after, seeming to sense that something is wrong, and spins Dante around, revealing that most of his face is long gone. He sets him down on a wall as Catherine joins terrified at the sight. Richter takes his hand, asking for him to hang on, but he quickly slips away. He orders her to call the cops, and now it is time for some Justice Texas-style courtesy of Richter. Boiling hot Texas-style. He enters the house, hearing Leatherface's favorite toy stirring to life. Leatherface then hears Richter entering and hides behind a door to give him a surprise. Mel, under the bed, pushes her foot out to adjust the mirror so Richter can see the spooky man there waiting for him. Leatherface rushes him with a hammer, shattering his leg, but Richter does look to have a little bit of hope, you know, for about 10 seconds. He pushes him into a window, and Leatherface seizes the chance to jam his face onto a broken shard. In his final moments, Richter proves that he's not such an asshole after all, weakly holding out the keys to Mel. Leatherface ain't done yet, absolutely mauling the dude's head to a paste of blood and chunky bits. So much for Mr. Big Texas Boy, you're making us look bad out here. I would have gone in there and taken care of business, hogtied him up, giving him a spanking. Boom! That's the Texas way. Well, maybe Sally will finally catch up to the action and actually do something worthwhile, but for now, she has only made it to the site of the van incident. She surveys the grisly aftermath of the attack and scans around the dark field. There she finds a disturbing sight, his mom in her nice dress, propped up on display, but with, you know, no face, kind of creepy. Sally chants to herself, I fear no evil, and races back to the truck. She returns to the picture, staring intently at it, starting to understand he must be back after all these years. Well, probably still best to call the police too, right? You know, just in case. No? Well, what about Catherine? I mean, Richter explicitly told her to after all, right? Oh, that's a no too? Doesn't even ever get mentioned ever again? <laughs> okay then. She also refuses to answer any of Lila's questions, sending her off the bus on her own, where she quickly encounters Dante's body. Well, that's not good. Her sister is still chilling under the bed, and seeing Leatherface lingering nearby, she tries to pull off a sneaky escape. Creaky floorboards will give her away, so she climbs over the side of the staircase and slinks down as quietly as possible. All the fancy footwork ultimately proves pointless, as Leatherface is just there at the top of the stairs. He launches the hammer, sending her plummeting down the stairs and through the floor. Dang, dude is pretty strong for an old man and everything, you know? She tries to navigate out from a crawl space under the house, while the killer goes to grab his saw. He takes some time before his next attack, hearing him clomping around right above her. Outside, she hears Lila calling, and he jams the saw through the floor, following after her the entire length, almost like a fin and jaws kind of thing. This kind of cool moment is buttoned by him sawing through a sewage pipe, making poopy splatter all over Mel. And I'm just like, 
like, why? Even if now stinking, she does get out with Lila's help, running back out into the main square. They make it onto the bus, and Catherine asks what happened. Oh, so now you want to know, huh? And this time, there's no time to explain. Tossing the driver the keys, her shrieking to get a move on. They do at least get the thing going, but Leatherface is lying in wait. He saws their tires, and they are stopped instantly in their tracks. Hmm, good job on the rescue attempt. The driver guy foolishly goes outside to assess the situation. A few moments later, Leatherface tosses the dude's head right back on the bus and steps on. Next stop, Murder Avenue. Sorry, I had to. This is easily the best part of the entire movie. Like, there's not even a remote second, because it's basically an absolute slaughtering of everyone on board the bus. But it's made even more satisfying because these guys are all douchebags. They even have the whole group start taping Leatherface on their phones as they make fun of his appearance, and one guy even warns if he tries anything, he's gonna be canceled. Try anything you cancel, bro. Along with the guy's little smug head nod to boot? Come on, that's ridiculous, right? They can't expect us to not find that completely absurd. I really hope that the joke here is that these guys kind of deserve their fates, invading species and all that. Leatherface makes quick work of the hapless hipsters, just sawed them all to bits. Lila falls to the ground and nearly gets the business end of his saw, but it's another victim that gets chopped instead. She starts hearing those screams, bringing her back to the shooting. Her sister snaps her out of it, taking her to the bathroom, leaving all the others to die. Heroic! And to really drive home the carnage, there is so much blood being spilled, it starts to pull up under the door. Woo-wee. Leatherface certainly making up for lost time here. I do have to point out a particular moment amongst all the madness. I honestly thought I was crazy when I was watching this, but at one part, Leatherface jams his saw into a dude from behind. Then the next shot, it's kind of like coming out, you know, kind of like his dick or whatever, like the saw is his dick, you know what I mean? I rewound it just to make sure, and maybe it wasn't on purpose, but I was like, whoa, 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 hold on a second. Is that a saw dick? And he does immediately gut another lady with his saw. So, you know, kind of maybe. After that dick blade and Mandy, anything's on the table as far as I'm concerned. Oh, and Catherine gets sawed in half too. Thanks for being such a great character. We will miss you and your strange aversion to answering people's questions at important moments. With only the sisters left, Leatherface cuts him a little hole into the door to reach inside. Utilizing her commemorative corkscrew, Mel stabs him in the hand and they are able to escape through a hatch in the roof. And hey, look who finally decided to show up. Sally, just in time to save the day. Oh wait, everyone is pretty much dead already. Could have used you a few minutes ago, lady. They hop in the back of her truck, freaking out about their situation. She calmly asks if it's really him, staring off into the distance, and grumbles about waiting for this night for 50 years. Evil dies tonight! Ah, wait, wrong series. The girls maybe think that this lady is a bit nuts and try to get out, but find they are locked inside. Sally tells them that she can't let them out until she kills them. So sure, I'll just trap you in here until then. She saddles up to make her big final stand, venturing into the orphanage. She comes to him just hanging out in his room, and she brings up her friends, asking if he remembers what he did to them. I'm not sure if she was expecting him to say something. Well, yeah, Sally, of course I remember that day. I felt bad about what I did, and that's why I've been hanging out at this orphanage until I'm like 70 years old. Yes, I remember. Thanks for reminding me. Also, because this story decided to remove all the sequels, he literally hasn't killed anyone else except for her buddies, which was the entire reason he was here in the first place. Anyway, he dismissively grabs a saw and walks past her, apparently not even considering her worth killing. How rude. Or maybe it's actually more like a moment of compassion. Kind of like, I could have killed you already, but since I do actually feel a little bit bad about what happened back then, I will give you a chance to live. Leatherface has really matured as a person. Good for him. He instead goes right for the kids, but Sally steps in, getting a few shots off that send the killer into retreat. See, it wasn't such a great idea leaving them out here, huh? Even she agrees now and tells him to get out of here. Really, five seconds ago it was stay right here, and now this, this lady is all over the place. She follows the sounds of his saw, 
out in the streets, appearing to emanate from a dark alley. She fires off a shot, briefly illuminating him as he lumbers out towards her. Too bad she's out of bullets. She does manage to stick him with a knife, but he returns the favor tenfold, gutting her with his chainsaw and tossing her aside. Well, Sally's big return, folks, 40 years in the making. Mel drives right at him with the truck, and Leatherface launches the saw, shattering their windshield, sending them crashing into the garage. She finds something jammed in her leg and tells Lila to get out of here now. He's gonna kill her either way. She cries that she doesn't have anyone else, and her sis finally encourages her that she's the strongest person she knows and doesn't actually need her. She shouts to run just as Leatherface arrives. Mel does genuinely apologize to him for what they did to his mom, but he's not much for forgiveness, it seems, rubbing up his saw and bringing it closer towards her. Lila feebly attempts to save the day, but forgets to turn off the safety on her gun, and Leatherface pursues her back outside. Just about to get chopped, Sally saves her with an assist of several more slugs into the guy. He retreats again, but this time into an old theater. Just to point out, he's taken about five shotgun blasts at this point. That is one sturdy old dude, I'll tell ya. I need to find out whatever Mrs. Mick was feeding this guy. Sally croaks a warning. Don't run. If you do, he never stops haunting you. With these sagely words, that's it for Sally. Thanks for the five minutes of screen time. What a way to honor a legacy character. She pops up, does a couple of random things for about two minutes and gets killed. <sighs> What was the point? I find myself asking that a lot with this movie. Sally's words must have inspired Lila to hunt down the killer once and for all. She zigzags through old concession stands and plastic sheets, and then hears the sound of his chainsaw revving from somewhere. She comes to the saw and realizes that he done tricked her good. Leatherface tackles her out of nowhere, both plummeting into a random pool of water. She heaves herself out, going for the gun. As she hobbles away, he slides the saw along the ground, slicing the back of her leg. Hmm, man, Leatherface got some moves this time putting that saw to work. He beats her to the gun, kicking it away. Then things go all slow-mo fucky, her thinking this really must be the end for her. Her sister appears, wrapped around Leatherface's neck, and he tossed her away like an old sack of potatoes. Lila does get two shots in, but yeah, apparently he's bulletproof or something, doesn't even slow him down. Mel gives him a taste of his own medicine, but only really gives him kind of like a little scratch on the chin. Again, I'm like, what? Mel knows more than anyone of what this dude is capable of, and she just wings him? Good lord, dude. Leatherface bubbles under the surface of the water, and the sister's in Race, hoping that he's gone for good. But of course he's not. Should have cut his head off or something. We also know now that he likes tricks too. So it's almost like as he's going to the water, he's like laughing to himself. <laughs> Stupid girls actually believe I'm dead. Can't wait to chop him up. Yeah, this is gonna be hilarious. Dawn breaks and out in the streets, Lila comes across some of Sally's belongings and almost dons her mantle in a way, putting on her hat and retrieving the picture of her pals. But wait, isn't her body like five feet away over there? Kind of weird. More like grave robbing really? Also, I hate to beat a dead horse, but did anybody call the police? Please, come on now. They pile in the car, letting out a sigh of relief, and utilize the fancy touchscreen to open the sunroof and put their route on autopilot. Ah, uh, aren't future cars the best? Lila feels a new bond now with her sister, telling her that she's changed her, and vows that she's going to stay with her now no matter what. Ah, oh, that's sweet. The moment of love and tenderness is spoiled by Leatherface crashing through the window and yanking her out. He quickly, and effortlessly, decapitates Mel, gleefully showing off her head to Lila's horror. Whee! He really does look happy. It's like, why wasn't I killing people this whole time? I feel free! As for Lila, I guess as long as auto drive is on, she'll be fine, but considering its reputation, who am I kidding? She's fucked. She's gonna run into a wall or something. Maybe not if it ever actually accelerates over five miles an hour. I understand that the intention of the ending is to be a kind of modern spin on the end of the original, where a shrieking Sally gets away in the bed of a truck, and Leatherface is spinning his shit around. It also is 
obvious they're trying to make Lila feel like the new Sally. Of course, taking her stuff, but also her being the only survivor in the end. So she's been double traumatized now. She already went through a school shooting and now the only person that seems to care about her was murdered right in front of her eyes. All I can ask what's more is what is the point? The only way forward with her character is that she does basically become Sally 2.0, obsessed with finding Leatherface for killing Mal and everything, but that also undoes the whole final moment of Sally. As she says, you can't keep running or whatever, he'll haunt you your whole life. My takeaway actually from what she said is that she was stuck on the memory of her friend's deaths and never really lived her own life. And while we do see how that turned out for her, it feels more like a don't be like me thing. As far as the story potentially continuing, the end does give us one final post credit scene that again revisits something familiar from the past. Leatherface, presumably after leaving the massacre in Harlow, wanders his way all the way back to the old Sawyer family farm. So maybe we'll see the next story continue with him back home and Lila hunting him down. But you know, actually he probably shouldn't stay home too long, would be like the one place people will be looking for him, you know? And why wouldn't they have torn that place down or anything? It doesn't make any sense. Well, that about wraps it up for this explained video on Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And don't forget, before we go, you can send me requests for any movies or TV shows you'd like to see me explain by sending them my way on any of my social media accounts at Foundflix. What did you guys think of Chainsaw 22 and its ending? What would you like to see in a potential sequel? What's your favorite entry in the series? After the first, obviously. Let me know your thoughts down in the comments below. Make sure to like, subscribe, and follow. Thanks for watching Foundflix. See you next time.